Nintendo. Of the Degenerate Hawkeyes podcast, Trent Biz, as we talk Hawkeye football with you, fresh off an absolute whooping of the hands of the Iowa State Cyclones. Iowa goes to two and zero, and now the fifth ranked team in the country. Biz, we had this right. Oh, happy happy day two thousand five hundred and fifty nine to you, Trent. Uh, you you have two children and my youngest child who have never ever seen. Uh, the clones beat Iowa, and that's the way it should be. So, uh, what a what a glorious, glorious day, Trent. Really is from my outpost here in Central Iowa. It has been beautiful. I've been smirking at people walking by. They got cyclone plates. I give them a little head nod, pulling up to them at a stoplight. Uh, it's been just absolutely glorious here, and the way the game played out too. This wasn't flukiness. This wasn't Iowa getting the breaks. This wasn't a muff punt at the end of the game. Anything like that. This was domination, and domination, once again, from the Iowa defense. That's where we got to start, that defense playing at an elite level. Yeah. Well, Chad, before we break down the game, you, I, you, can, go, uh, you can go get a snack or, or rest for a while because I, I don't think it does justice to just break down the game, Trent. So let's uh, give me a few minutes if you could. Okay. I, I, we, we, need, we need to break down the day in general. You ready? Yes. So, Trent, what I'm going to be talking about here are, are just straight facts. No, nothing here is hyperbole. These are facts. Coming into that game on Saturday, you had an Iowa State team that was quite simply their best team ever. I think every clone fan would agree with that. Best team ever. Best quarterback in school history. First team All-Americans at running back, middle linebacker, and tight end. 21 starters back. You had game day in town. You had the home field advantage and probably the biggest crowd in the Jack Trice history. And and this is the one maybe potentially not fact, Trent, but you also had the greatest coach in the history of coaching leading them into battle. <laughs> so uh, really things couldn't have looked any better for Iowa State going in. By the 10-minute mark of the fourth quarter, Trent, you know what had happened? They're all they leaving. They've been trolled by the game day crew. They've been trolled by the AFLAC quiz question. Their all-star quarterback had been benched. There was maybe, generously, 10,000 Iowa State fans still in, in the stands. And they were utterly embarrassed by the Hawks. And if you think utterly embarrassed is a, a dr- dramatic term or is over the top, it's not, Trent. You know why? You know where I found that term at? I found it from the Wide Right and Natty Light <laughs> website. If you're not familiar with that, which I hope you're not, because you hope you never get on it, but uh, that is the Iowa State Twitter, um, pop, very popular, 26,500 26, followers. So very popular. Their title of their article for this game was Iowa State Utterly Embarrassed by Iowa. And, and I'll just finish it, Trent, with their last paragraph, because this is, this is their statement, not mine. So uh, it doesn't get any better than this paragraph. There really are no positives here. Iowa State got clowned by ESPN in college game day, only to get clowned on the field by the Hawkeyes. There you have it, Trent. Uh, It doesn't get any better than that. Apparently, uh, the Matt Matt Campbell process is, I guess it's an eight- to ten-year process because it certainly didn't work out on Saturday. And and I think uh, 
it's quite possible he may be Owen forever. Uh, I, I don't know your thoughts on it, but it would not shock me at all if he's not, not there uh, a year from now. Well, a lot of people already connecting dots with that. The USC job is open as Clay Helton has been fired. James Franklin long been rumored to be a candidate for that job. Has his time come to an end at Penn State? And looking for that next destination. That happens. Penn State opens. Is that a likely destination for Matt Campbell? I could certainly see that happening. I don't think it's a huge stretch. And while we're gloating a little bit here and having some fun, I got to give a shout-out to my guy, Wade Looking Bill. Did you see his response to Brent Bloom over the weekend? Brent Bloom writes for Cyclone Fanatic. He works works up at Iowa State University. He uh, likes to put stats together. He likes to try to make numbers make sense for Cyclone fans out there. And uh, he had this tweet, did Bloom. I was the fourth team in college football since 2016 to have 173 yards or less and win a football game. Turnovers and punting the difference. Wade Lookingbill, former Hawkeye basketball player, responds with this. Brent always has the best stats. Here's a stat. ISU is 0-6 for Iowa the last six games. Didn't even have to do any research. Perfect. Wade Lookingbill dropped the mic there right in Bloom's face. I saw the Bloom tweet. I did not see the response. Uh, that is pretty, uh, pretty cut and dried, Trent. Like I said, everything I said is just straight facts. I mean, this is a team that had everything going their way going into the day. And by, by the start of the fourth quarter, it was literally oh, I mean, demoralizing for them. I mean, they, they, they were completely and utterly embarrassed as, as their own, own website uh, confirmed so not in a million years could I have a you you couldn't have dreamt up a better scenario as an Iowa fan than what happened on Saturday because not only did we win but we embarrassed them and we left them uh, as a fan base completely questioning what they're doing and I I, even it's just as enjoyable as the win is listening to their fan base uh, over the last 48 hours try to uh, try to justify the loss explain the loss uh, a few of the knowledgeable ones admit they just got their butts kicked. But some of the things you hear about how they, uh, you know, the game would have been totally different if it wouldn't have been for uh, all the turnovers or all the special teams or all those other things. But, uh, you know, a lot of excuses, Trent. But uh, I think we all know who the better team was on Saturday, and the realistic Clones fans know as well. I think they do. But uh, I heard it today on my radio show. took a call from – Old friend Mike in Waterloo and said, you know, if Hunter Deckers was just out there, thing would have been a lot different. Would have been a whole lot different. And it's rinse, repeat, recycle with Iowa State football. It doesn't matter who the coach is. It doesn't matter what the talent base is. They're already on to the backup quarterback. They're already moving on from their Brock Purdy all-time leader in wins, in bowl wins. Took them to a conference championship game. He's always had a weak arm, but suddenly – this is a huge, huge problem now, and now it's time for the big lefty from West Sioux, Haywarden, Hunter Deckers. It's it's incredible. It is a fan base, obviously different than any other biz. We talked about it last week. I have to deal with it on a day-to-day basis, but how quickly this thing has changed. But I guess when you've lost six straight, when Campbell still doesn't have a win, you're searching for answers. You're looking for anything, and that's kind of the easiest common denominator, right? Eh, put in the backup. Well, and Campbell, honestly, I mean, he's obviously feeding that uh, beast a little bit by, mm-hmm. by pulling Purdy. I mean, uh, I was shocked when he took Purdy out of the game. Uh, did Purdy play well? Absolutely not. But 
two out of three interceptions were, were not his fault. I mean, Xavier Hutchinson, that one bounced right off his hands. The other one's a, a tip ball, and the other one's a 50-50 ball. So I mean, yeah. it's not like all three of them threw him right to us. So did he play well? No. Uh, did he look comfortable in the pocket ever? No. But, I mean, there's more to the story than what than what Campbell's leading on. I mean, I know he's saying the right things and saying Purdy's their guy, but uh, I think he is going to be on a short leash the rest of the year. But, uh, uh, you know, we'll, we can talk more about this later. But the fact of the matter is the Big 12 stinks so bad that they'll end up winning their nine games and they'll have their great story about how, you know, they they, they came back and they got better throughout the year. It'll be, it'll be the same stories they always get from them down the road. It will be, and it will be, you know, if we played this game at the end of the season, how different this game would be. Not remembering that Iowa, that's also a program that plays pretty good football as the season goes on, but that's always remissed. It's always looked over, and, and the excuses will continue. What we do have, we got scoreboard, 27-17, and a game that wasn't even that close. Busy, ready to talk more about the game? I am, yeah. You, you started talking defense, Trent, so let's start there. I mean, I know we talk about it every week, but what can you say about this defense? I mean, what they do week in and week out is is absolutely phenomenal. They just – they're the most disciplined, well put – I mean, they're just they're, – there's such a cohesive unit. There's just – there are no breakdowns. I mean, that the one 49-yard play at the end of the half – Everybody, we talked about our testing, we're just shocked. Yeah. That's, that never happens. That's just not Iowa football. And that's the one time it's happened in two weeks. I mean, they're just – you watch college football across the nation. There are very, very, very few teams that can do what Iowa does as far as just playing good, fundamental, disciplined defense, and, and it goes a long ways. Watching what this defensive front has built into, it was a question mark coming into the year, and not just because where's the pass rush going to come from, but – in terms of depth, they play 10 guys on Saturday, and all of them had moments. All of them had a point where you say, boy, he looks good. You got 10 dudes. Now, you can say you got 10 dudes, you really don't have a real rotation of six. That's all well and good. I think that's going to be pared down as the season goes on. But to do that in a hot environment, to go out there, play at that level, from what we saw from Joe Evans, Joey the Bull, 37 snaps, nine pressures in the game. He was a top-ranked player on the defensive line of pro football focus. Ethan Herkett, I I said this earlier in the week, I don't remember, I feel like I remember every single guy that's recruited at Iowa. I remember nothing about this guy other than he got a scholarship. He played really well. Craig got the sack. Wagner was there, all over the place. And Zach Van Valkenburg has turned himself into not just a, a guy that right place, right time. He is a real defensive end now that can do everything for this squad. Depth, talent, this defensive line feels like they have it all. Well, just across the defense, I, I think it was Scott Docterman's article. He had a couple paragraphs when Evans got more snaps than Wagner. So, so when you look at when Evans is in, look across the board at those 11 guys, Trent. You're looking at two walk-ons <laughs> in Evan, Evans and Kerner. Mm-hmm. You're looking at three two-star guys in, in Riley Moss, Merriweather, and Benson. You're looking at a transfer from a Division II Hillsdale. <laughs> and then you're looking at four three-stars in, in Campbell, Lee, Shannon, and Belton. And then you've got the one, I guess you'd say, star of the bunch in, in Justin Jacobs, the one four-star. Yeah. 
I mean, that's, and that is incredible when you talk about that. I mean, you're talking about more than half the defense are either two stars, walk-ons, or Division two transfers. And you're looking at quite possibly the best defense in the nation. I mean, that's, uh, that, that's a credit to not only Phil Parker, but a credit to the whole coaching staff on, on obviously being able to find hidden gems out there and then develop, it, develop them uh, better than anybody else in the nation. Justin Jacobs, that play in the force fumble. And people look at the fumble part of it, and he popped it out. Hey, great for him. Brees Hall, is he going to fumble again in that scenario? Probably not. But Jacobs made the play. But what he did to Chase Allen, Chase Allen, if he's going to play in the league, it's going to be because he can block. He's huge. He's six foot seven. He's powerful. And Justin Jacobs absolutely tossed him around like a rag doll to get off that block. Get off the block where Allen got to him first. The strength that he has, the athleticism sideline to sideline, this linebacker group, this is elite. Defensive back group is elite. The defensive line, as he talked about, but but Jacobs alone making that kind of play, completely changing the game around it, and really putting it away at that point at 21-10. That dude has got a bright, bright future, and when you get those kind of building blocks to go along with all the guys, the, the can-try guys that are doing it right, you really got something there. Phil Parker, we continually sing his praises, but... It's incredible how an SEC team team hasn't come in and said, here's $3 million a year, fix us. Please fix us. Yeah, and the thing is, you never even really hear, I don't, maybe you hear it over there, but I never even heard a rumor of him leaving in the last 10 years. There hasn't been a single, you know, even he may, he's up for this job or that he's in the final three of this job. I mean, maybe that's as simple as he does not throw in his hat in the ring and, and just has no interest in leaving. But uh, it's, it's pretty amazing that he hasn't at least uh, had some feelers out there to go to you know, go fix LSU's defense or Tennessee's defense or something like that. But uh, I'm, you know, I think now, hopefully, he's old enough now where you know maybe maybe it's too late. Maybe at this sure. point, he he wants to stay here and he'll he'll stay here until until. So Kirk calls it quits, and they'll stop together. That would be, you know, that'd be ideal. Go out together and go out with a few really good teams, let's hope, uh, coming forward here in the future. So defense is great. We sing their praises. Let's go to the offense. And the second quarter, Spencer Petras, he looked great. Overall, the numbers are not there. Didn't have to the way the game was being played. But that second quarter, some of those throws on a dime, standing in the pocket knowing he was going to take one in the chops, and firing the football, that's, I know, where the excitement still lies. Because in terms of arm talent, he's got that. Certainly has the arm talent to make all the throws. There's the other part, though, that goes along with it. Let's start at quarterback. Your thoughts on Petrus? Yeah, I mean, I have the same thoughts as everybody else. One good quarter, three really bad ones. And, you know, he's – it's – I'll give him credit. His ability to go from looking terrible to great with the flip of a switch is, is pretty amazing. I mean, it reminded me of the Illinois game last year, but fortunately we didn't fall behind 14-0. But he was atrocious the first quarter against Illinois, and then he flipped the switch and was great, you know, great the rest of the way. Obviously that didn't happen uh, on Saturday, but he was great that second quarter. I mean, the one drive was he 5-for-5 five five for 71 yards, and three of those passes were – absolute lasers. I mean, he has, he has the arm strength, he has the talent, but I mean, his complete inability to move in the pocket is a big concern. I mean, he, if he has to move at all in the pocket, 
he's in big trouble. He just doesn't. He doesn't sense pressure very well. He doesn't slide over and, and buy himself time. He doesn't step up in the pocket very well. You know, those are types of things. Unfortunately, I, I don't think you can probably fix mid-season. So he he is what he is, Trent. But you know, to me, I mean, certainly the, the last thing we should be doing is, is complaining about this team because they're two and zero and they're doing great. But you know, there's concerns across the board to me on this offense. I mean, I thought Tyler Goodson looked average at best on Saturday. He looked very timid for some reason. I'm not sure why. And then you got your two veteran wide receivers, Tracy and Rodania, basically been non-existent so far. So, you know, it's not just Spencer Petras. It's across the board, your, your veteran offensive players, none of them have. And then Laporta hasn't played very well either. He's had, what, three drops? Yep. Two weeks. So across the board – those are all things I think we can we can improve upon. But what are your thoughts on Goodson? I just he did not look like the same running back uh, Saturday as we've seen uh, we've grown accustomed to. So when I watched it in real time, I thought the exact same thing. I, I thought he was ten at a time. I didn't think he was reading blocks very well. And then when I watched it for a second time on Sunday night, it wasn't as bad as I initially thought. Looking at things, that just there wasn't a ton there. That offensive line, I think more than anything. That's where the issues lie. The offensive line and the way Iowa State plays defense is very similar to what Wisconsin does with those linebackers and safeties come slanting in. It's very difficult schematically for what Iowa does, and I think they're going to have to scheme better against Wisconsin coming up. That's a later conversation in the year. But as it pertains to that, I think more than anything, it's not so much a Tyler Goodson problem. I think it's an offensive line problem first and foremost. Ivory Cullen Martin came in. Ran hard a couple of times. He had a couple of opportunities. Lost the ball, but he was down. On and on and on there. I'm not as concerned, I, I don't think, as you are with Goodson. And and remember, they played two, I think at minimum, top 20 defenses here in the first two weeks. Things are going to look a lot better, and it's going to start this week against Kent State. And concern is probably the wrong word when I, for Goodson also. It's more surprising, I guess. And sure. I thought sure. one of the things he's done he had done really well is understanding he, he gotten so much better at when the play's not there, he just kind of has been putting his head down and getting the three yards. And he didn't do that at all mm-hmm. on Saturday. He just kind of, uh, he'd go sideways and get zero. And, you know, it's some of the same bad habits I thought he had kind of early on, you know, back, back a couple of years ago where he was always looking for the home run. And, you know, I'm, I'm hoping, you know, I'm hoping it's one of those things where you know, I, I think across the board, this offense is going to be angry on Saturday. And that's the best thing about this is I don't see any way this team takes Kent State or Colorado State for granted. I just think you've got an offense that's going to want to, going to, want to prove some things these next couple of weeks. They want to prove that they're not, not, as, not as inept as they're not the 126-ranked offense or whatever they are right now. I mean, and like you said, I mean, give credit to two really good defenses. I mean, it's, have, has the offense looked great? No, but they've also gone up against quite possibly the two best defenses we'll face all year. Special teams, uh, what can we say that hasn't already been said? Torrey Taylor's a stud. Charlie Jones, an absolute stud. Special teams, LeVar Woods. Speaking of next head coaches, a lot of people are, are looking through. When Kirk finally hangs it up, who would be the guy? Special teams coaches that become head coaches have had a really good track record. John Harbaugh being the most famous example of that. LeVar Woods what he has done with these special teams and what he continues to do year after year, it's incredible. Uh, it's, I mean, 
it wins games. I mean, it's as simple as that. And, you know, Iowa football, you go back and look, you know, when we were turning the corner, those 2002, 2003, 2004 years, we were unbelievable defensively and special teams. And, and that's what, and then for whatever reason, we got away from that a little bit. We were pretty, we were average at best for special teams for, for probably a decade there. But what LeVar Woods has done, and just little things, one of the things I absolutely love is just little things like Iowa State a couple times went rugby-style punt. And when they did that, we were ready and brought in a second returner. Max Cooper was in as the short guy so that they couldn't drop it in and let it roll. And just little things like that, you know, it, it, we're just really well-prepared across the board on special teams. And, and you know, we haven't, you know, a couple of years ago you saw all the trick plays and everything. We haven't done any of that, but I could, see, I bet we've got some trick plays. He's got a few trick plays up his sleeve for potentially teams like Penn State or Wisconsin as well. It wouldn't surprise me to see another one get pulled out at some point this year. Yeah, we can get uh, Wisconsin back for the 2010 fake punt and return the favor up in Camp Randall coming up later this year. Biz, this is a team that is right now fifth in the AP poll, seventh in the coaches poll. I didn't think this team was getting to this point. And even if you said they start in 2-0, and I never would have imagined that they'd be this high already. So you put Stat Boy to work this week. Top five rankings. What do you have? Yeah, it's interesting, Trey. I'll just ask you up front here. How many weeks do you think we have been ranked top five in the history of Iowa football? Top five. All right. Going through 85. I'm going to just guess. 35. Now you're pretty close. Forty weeks. All right. This will be our. This is our forty-first week. But when you go back through and, and you break it down, Trent, the vast majority of those weeks were either when you and I were uh, in elementary school mm-hmm. or not born. So uh, it, when you look at the numbers, you realize just how rare of an accomplishment this is, and how much we need to uh, we need to enjoy it here the next few weeks. So. Let's break it down, Trent. You want, to, you want to break down the 40 weeks of the top five Iowa football teams? I'm going to guess we're going to go back to the Evie days to kick things off, right? Uh, yes and no. So we're not technically going to go in chronological order. We're going to okay. go by the most successful seasons. So just in general, of the 40 weeks when we've been ranked in the top five, Iowa's record as a top five team is 27-12-1. and one. The year that we had by far the most wins in the top five team, 1985. Okay. We were in the top five for 11 straight weeks. Obviously, we were number one for a few weeks until Ohio State knocked us off. But even after that loss, we stayed top five all the way through the rest of the year until the Rose Bowl. So we went nine and two that year. So a quarter or a third of our wins in the top five team happened all in one year, 1985. So. Uh, but then, yes, we'll go back to the Evy years, and it's it's truly amazing what Forrest Evashevsky did for a, a five-year stretch. So the, the interesting thing when you look at this, back in the 50s and 60s, Trent, they, they did what they probably should do now. They didn't, they didn't have rankings at the start of the year. They waited a few years. Mm-hmm. So that, that hurts his number of weeks that he was ranked. But from 19, the, 1956, 57, 58, 60, and 61, we were ranked in the top five multiple weeks during those five years. In 56, we ended number three. 58, we ended number two. 60, we ended number three. 
in those five years combined, we went 15, 4, and 1. So there you've got 24 of our 27 wins when you just add up uh, those seasons. And the most amazing thing about Forrest Evashevsky, Trent, in 1961, he leaves and leaves a number one team to Jerry Burns. Jerry Burns starts the year 3-0 and and then loses four in a row, and they, and they weren't ranked for, for 20 years after that. So Jeez. it took Jerry Burns all of a month to uh, destroy what Forrest Evashevsky had built. I remember Jerry Burns. I remember him as the Vikings coach, and uh, I'll tell you, it doesn't really surprise me. <laughs> so the, the other years that we were top five, you've got uh, only one other year where we've been in the top five for multiple weeks. That would be 2015. We were in the top five for a total of two weeks. The last week of the regular season and then the Big Ten championship game, and then we dropped back to number six going into the Rose Bowl. So two weeks, one and one there. And then the other five years, 1954, 1959, 1983, 1984, and 2002, we jumped into the top five and then immediately lost. So. In the 2002, we finally made it to the top five when we got to the uh, Orange Bowl and lost. I don't remember the 83 or 84 years, but Stat Boy sent me the information. In 83, we got to the top five and then got destroyed 33 to nothing by Illinois. In 84, we jumped into the top five early in the year and lost to Penn State 20 to 17. So, so when you look at the numbers, Trent, it's pretty amazing. Assuming we can beat Kent State and Colorado State, it will only be the second time since 1960 that we're going to have multiple wins in the top five team, and the Jeez. first time in 36 years. So as an adult, as adults, Trent, you and I have seen Iowa football win one game as a top five team. That was the, the season finale at Nebraska in 2015. That's it. That's the only top five victory you and I have ever uh, probably seen the other ones were probably out running around in the backyard in the 80s so probably listen on the radio that's it Trent. Yeah. One, one win in uh 36 years so Jeez. the moral of the story is enjoy it enjoy a top five team and hopefully a top five team that can stay there for a little while and i, I will throw this psa out along with it enjoy it but be prepared because now ranked in the top five there's going to be a lot more scrutiny that's also going to come along with it. And it's not going to be just you and me and everybody else complaining about Spencer Petras. It's going to be coming at a national level. And the offensive ranking that you brought up, those kind of things, be prepared. Don't get butthurt about it. It's going to happen. Just enjoy our team. 2015, looking back, I wish I just would have enjoyed it even more instead of the times that I got too defensive about it from the national talking heads. Yeah, well, the, the advantage we have this year, Trent, compared to then, the 2015, the big thing was our schedule. And, sure. and everybody was like, who have they played? Mm-hmm. And that was the big talking point. You know, this year we've got the advantage, as long as Indiana and Iowa State don't fall flat on their face. If both of those two end up being, you know, consistent, you know, Indiana, if they can go 8-4 and four, and Iowa State can go 9-3, and three, we're going to have some good wins in our resume. But, you know, you also you got to take care of business when it comes to the Kent State and Colorado State yeah. world. Don't yeah. uh, don't don't beat Kent State. Uh, you know, don't beat Kent State twenty four to seventeen because that gives everybody a reason to to question you. So uh, take care of business these next couple weeks, and uh, then we'll see what happens come October. All right. So we got through that top five rankings from Stat Boy. Anything else from Stat Boy? Are we going to Mister B now? 
Well, the, the next, it's a combination of Mr. Wow. Beast and Stat Boy. It was it was it came from the uh, the brain of of my dad because anytime you start talking really uh, old school comparisons, you got you got to look to the uh, the elder generation for that stuff, Trent. But uh, he it's his brainchild. But then the research, is, as always, was done by Stat Boy. Stat Boy did the research, but from the minds of Paul Bisgard, I am ready for this. Well, late in the game. My, my dad uh, commented that this team reminds him a lot of Hayden's first Rose Bowl team, which ironically was 40 years ago. So I figured it's a good time to get in the uh, get in the time machine and go back 40 years and kind of look at that team from 1981. And when you look at it, there are a lot of uh, a lot of easy comparisons to make. So you're ready to you're ready to hop in the time machine and, and go back to. Uh, what would you have been? One? I was two. one, yeah. I was, I was uh, in diapers at the time. Let's see what we got. All right, so 1981 team, Trent. It was the original live and die by defense and special teams. Uh, that team, they won seven games. They held seven opponents to seven points or less, and they beat some really good teams. They beat number five, number six, and number seven ranked teams in Nebraska, Michigan and UCLA. And when you look at the numbers, that defense trend has some names you'll remember. It's got Andre Tippett, Mark Bortz, Pat Dean, Mel Cole, Bobby Stoops as a safety, and then Lou King at cornerback. And then they had quite possibly the uh, all-time greatest punter in college football history, Reggie Roby. Do you remember what he averaged per, per, uh, per punt that year? Was that the year that it was like 53 or something like that? 49.8. 49.8. Right point eight for the year. So, and the funny thing is, looking at it, that boy found the year before in '80. Not only was he our punter, he was our field goal kicker. Oh yeah, I remember hearing those stories. The year before, he kicked 28 extra points, 11 field goals. But then uh, Tommy Nickel came in and was a, a young freshman kicker in '81. But you look at look at the numbers. Pretty amazing, Trent. They beat Nebraska with a total of 191 yards. So quite similar to the Iowa State. They, they beat Michigan with a total of 280 yards, and then they beat UCLA with a total of 57 passing yards on, on the day. Um, but they, the amazing stat, the UCLA game, UCLA was ranked sixth coming in. The second half of that game, we held the ball for over 23 minutes. So it was a ball control offense uh, and, and – uh, Defense and special teams. So, but that season, the other the other comparison on the concerning part: great defense, great special teams like this year. Also, uh, some shaky quarterback play. You ready to ready to look at the quarterback numbers for that team? Uh, let's take a look. What did Gordy Bohannon do? Well, Gordy split time. It was Gordy okay. and Pete Gales. Ironically, they both threw for fifty point seven percent completion rate. Fifty point seven. So not real good. They combined. For seven touchdowns and ten interceptions on the year, and they combined for slightly over fourteen hundred yards passing in twelve games. So, the moral of the story is, Trent, uh, it could be worse than Spencer Petras. Uh, I'm sure, certainly hoping he uh, at least avoids a, a negative touchdown interception rate and throws for over fourteen hundred yards on the year. Let's hope, because to a Rose Bowl, this team going to a Rose Bowl, if that doesn't happen. Yeah, but right now his percentage passing is about identical. I think he's right at 50%, isn't he? Perfect. Yeah, you don't see that much in college football anymore. With all the, all the dinking and dunking passing anymore, 50% is uh, not good. 
But that's that's your time machine for 1981. You had a team that uh, at the end of that year, Tippett and Roby were both named first-team All-Americans, and then four other defensive guys, Mel Cole, Mark Bort, Lou King, and Pat Dean, were all first-team Big Tens. You had, you had five all-first-team Big Ten uh, defensive players, and, and then you had, uh, obviously, a first-team All-American punter. So uh, a lot of similarities. Let's hope uh, one of the other similarities is that you end in the Rose Bowl or, or maybe even better. College football playoff. That's where the dreams go, but we got a long, long season in front of us. Well, thanks to Mr. B for uh, our listeners, not from Osage. He was, uh, well, he is your dad, of course, but he was our elementary school principal growing up, and uh, him and our PE teacher, Mr. Mayor, they were the ones that got me addicted to gambling. So but thanks to both of them as fantasy foot baseball started as uh, an eighth grade, fourth grader for me in 1988. So I'll blame those guys as it pertains to my addictions. In the, old, in the old cafeteria at the elementary yes. school. The Knutson brothers teamed up for a team, and they tried to draft Kirby Puckett as a third baseman because he played an inning there. Uh, there was all kinds of hijinks that were happening back then. Uh, and Doug Schwab, the wrestling coach, would sit in the back of the room and uh, get everybody angry because yep. he bit at the last second all the time. So it was quite a group. We were, so, and honestly, my, my dad was probably the original stat boy. Mm-hmm. If you go to our house, you can see recruiting notebooks from like the 1980s where he would uh, wow. jot down who we, who we recruited and uh, whether they, they made it all the years and, and everything. So some point in time, you have, to, you have to swing by and check it out. He's still got it going back to, I think, the 70s. So uh, he was ahead of his time when it came to uh, being a, uh, a recruiting nerd. And then Stat Boy took over in the stat part of it, and, and here we are today. Well, thanks to Mr. B. Thanks to Stat Boy, as always. Good stuff out of them as we go down in the look at the time machine back another week. Biz, ready to make some picks this week? I need some help because after I was beating my chest in week one, it did not go very well in week two. You go 0-3? I went 0-3. Oh, I think I went 1-1-1, one, one, and one, so you can't. Just right, right in the meaty part of the curve, Trent. That's right. Well, after the first week, hey, you're above 500. So the tee box is yours. Let's start this week with the Hawkeyes. They are currently favored in a weird number, 22 and a half. Now, if you're looking at some lines before the season, could have got it a little bit better. But currently, we're playing the line as it is. Hawkeyes favored by 22 and a half. Hey, don't try to waver back and forth on this one. Um, you know, I'm. I generally just like 56 and a half seems like an insane amount of points for an Iowa football game. But uh, so I really wanted to go under, but then I went and looked at uh, Kent state's game against A&M. They, they gave up almost 600 yards to A&M A&M turned the ball over five times and they still won by 31 points. So uh, I think this is a game and A&M had 300 yards rushing as well. So I think this is a game where, uh, a rare game where Iowa puts the, the pedal to the metal and really tries to uh, to put to put on a showing here. So give me the twenty-two and a half, and I think we cruise to a uh, yeah. Let, let's go with a forty-two to fourteen victory. I'm in the same line of thinking as you. I think the defense they're just going to give up some plays. This team can move the ball. Crumb's a nice quarterback. They'll make some plays offensively. I do think that the Iowa offense, though, is going to wake up in a big-time way. Just going to be one of those kind of happy-feeling type of games where Iowa's offense back in control. They're running the ball. Petrus is making some throws. We'll get to see Padilla halfway through the fourth quarter. Kent State, they, in fact, may be more concerned before the season than they do right now. 
yeah, I'll lay the 22 and a half. Give me the Hawks to cover in the first game. Our national game of the week, it is Auburn making their way up to State College. Biz, we've had a couple of trips out there. Some really fun. Well, they're always really fun. Some games really fun. Some not so much. Penn State favored by just shy of a touchdown, currently at six. The total 53 and a half, Biz. You love those totals. I do in this game. I like the under here. I think this is destined for 24-17, something along those lines. I'm going to go under the 53-and-a-half. I, I learned my lesson last week, Trent. My lock of the week was going against Penn State. I, I thought Ball State would give them a game, and so I kind of uh, was peeking at that game from time to time, and Penn State just absolutely throttled them. And so you look at Auburn, you really have no clue. They played Akron and Alabama State, but uh, – New coach, uh, I just don't think Bo Nix is a very good quarterback. I, I think you're going to have a whiteout at night, and I think Penn State's uh, a pretty darn good football team. So uh, give me Penn State minus six. Uh, again, not a great feel on this one. It's one that if it wasn't our game of the week, I would stay away from it entirely. But uh, give me Penn State minus six. I think with the whiteout conditions and, and Auburn hasn't played anybody and hasn't had to go on the road, I think they may be a little shell-shocked. And so uh, give me Penn State minus six. Lay in the six with the Nittany Lions. We finish up each week with our best bet. What's jumping off the board here for you on a Tuesday? I gave you a teaser earlier, Trent, when I talked about how Iowa State's going to be fine because the Big 12 stinks. So <laughs> I really, really wanted to go to Nebraska plus 22 because I just don't think Oklahoma's as good as everybody pretends they are. Mm-hmm. But then I realized I can't trust Scott Frost. So I'm going against the other Oklahoma school instead. Oklahoma State's got to go to the Blue Turf up in Boise. Oklahoma State's just not a very good football team. They barely beat Missouri State. They barely beat a Tulsa team that lost to a FCS team the week before. Um, Boise always plays well on the Blue Turf. So give me the Broncos minus four. Broncos minus four. Boise State on the Blue Turf against Okie State. All right, we wrap things up here with my best bet of the week and a couple of directions that I'm liking, leaning right now. It's early in the week. That maybe makes it difficult. At least that's my excuse here. But I'm going to go with Nevada, making their way to Manhattan, the little apple to take on Kansas State. Skylar Thompson, when he plays for Kansas State, they're really good. When he doesn't, they're really bad. Nevada, in fact, the Wolfpack are favored in this game. Old friend Jay Norvell, give me the Wolfpack, minus one and a half. We'll not go with that crappy NC State Wolfpack this week. We'll use a different one, and we're going to pull in a win. Well, you're, you're 0 for 1 on Wolfpack pick, so hopefully you can you can even it out after this week. Let's hope for the best. All right, Biz, before we... Would you, what was your bet on the Iowa State game last week? I thought you picked the Hawks. No, no, I, pet, I said I was staying with what I thought all summer long and going with Iowa State, and you know, more than anything, maybe giving a little stink. We know how my picks went last Wait. year. Way to take one for the team, Trent. That's right. That's how you do it. That's how you do it. Let's do it here with Biz's Beat. Hey, kids. Gather around for Biz's Beat of the Day. Okay, here's Biz's Beat of the Day. Trent, Biz's Beat of the Week is, uh, you probably already knew this. I think most Iowa fans already knew this. But Holly Rowe is a national treasure. I mean, I don't know if you paid attention throughout the week, but... You know, just how cool she was throughout the week. She got multiple requests from Iowa State and Iowa beat writers to, to do podcasts with, with a couple of the female um, 
writers for Iowa and Iowa State. She immediately jumped on both of those. Um, she was pretty much everywhere. Um, just her, she clearly has kind of an affinity for that football program going back to 2002 as well. But I, I assume you've seen it, but, but her post-game interview with Ferentz and how she uh, teed it up for him to, to get a little emotional and to kind of uh, tee him up and, and get him to agree that, hey, you know, Iowa's still here. Iowa State can get all the publicity. They can win the offseason all they want. But uh, the fact of the matter is uh, we're the better program. And we showed it on Saturday, and, and Holly Rowe uh, kind of put a, put a bow on the whole weekend by uh, setting Kirk Ferentz up. To, and, you know, there's nothing better than an emotional Kirk Ferentz. So uh, thanks to Holly Rowe for, for teeing it up and letting Kirk uh, hit it out of the ballpark. Absolutely. Uh, 2004 jumps to mind afterwards and the emotions of Kirk and that 6-4 win against Penn State. And just there's something about that guy and his emotions, the way that it comes out. He's a tough guy, but he also shows his emotion. Easy to like and Holly Rowe, tip of the ball cap. Great work out of her. Seemingly, as always, she does as it's in a difficult job. Sideline reporter is not easy. She's the best in the business, no doubt about it, at the college scene, and and she is excellent. Biz, well done. Well, and the best thing, the best thing you you realize when you you see the emotional fairness, the best thing that ever happened to the Iowa program, Trent, is that Iowa State and Minnesota and Nebraska went out and got these uh, these cocky young coaches because it, it's energized parents. You mm-hmm. can see he has absolutely no love lost for Matt Campbell, PJ Fleck, and Scott Frost. Uh, it, it uh, you know, they have, uh, we talked about last week, what they've done over the last five years as a program is really impressive. And I think you're kind of seeing the, uh, it all come to, come to fruition at this point. It's, you know, and the, the portion of the nation seeing that as well, because you know, to me, this top five feels different than that 2015 top five. You talked about it earlier. The top 2015, it kind of felt like we were, uh, Riding the wave, and but we weren't that great of a team. This team, this team's got a chance to be special. Are they there yet? Right now, absolutely not. But uh, they can stay healthy, get a few breaks, and, and keep uh, keep improving. There's no reason the team can't stay in the top five for a while, Trent. Like we said, enjoy it, but let's uh, let's change the the expectations a little bit this week too. Let's not, not only enjoy it, but kind of expect it a little bit. And I was told in no uncertain terms this week, it was very easy for the Iowa coaches to have the guys ready to go. Of course, of course, it's a rivalry game. But what happened two years ago when Matt Campbell, they used that trick play early to score against Iowa, and he's staring down the Hawkeye sideline and saying they think they're so blanking smart. That did not sit very well in the Iowa's coach's office, and that one will never be forgotten. Kirk doesn't forget anything anyway. That one, though, always at the top of his mind when Iowa Iowa State week comes. Yeah, I, I was shocked, Trent. I was praying and hoping when we got it was twenty four ten when we gave the ball to Monty Potty Bomb and he got down to the mm-hmm. two. I really wanted to see it go right back to back to the well again, and I really wanted Brian Ferentz to just uh, stick it down their throat with with either a fullback or just multiple QB sneaks at that point. But uh, I was kind of shocked he didn't. I thought we would just go uh, straight fullback dive and get it in the end zone, but. That would, that would have been the ultimate kind of uh, you know, fu to, to Campbell and the staff at that point. We, we gave it to we gave it to Potty Bomb a couple times, but I, it would not have broken my heart to see him get the ball five or six times that fourth quarter. Just shove it in one more time, Biz. We will be back next week to talk about it more. Appreciate it as always, and uh, get us out of here. All right, go Hawks.